0: Those events that we've had uh, read to us there are truly uh, world-changing events, aren't they? What happened on that first Easter weekend? And we're going to consider the events of Good Friday uh, together this morning before we uh, come and eat and drink uh, together. Uh, We're going to do that by just turning the clock back a little bit and thinking back uh, to the events that happened the night before Jesus died in the Garden of Gethsemane just so we can understand and grasp Uh, what happened on the cross. So I want to read uh, from the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26. I'm just going to read a few more verses. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And take him with him, Peter, and the two sons of Zebedee. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He came to his disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, If this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and he said to them, Sleep, take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let's uh, pray as we come to consider those verses briefly. Dear Father, as we uh, see Jesus there in the garden, praying as we listen in on his prayers we sense father we are on sacred ground and as we consider this account together this morning we pray father that you would speak to each one of us as we need father take away pride take away self-righteousness help us to truly behold the lord jesus help us to glory in all that he is lord we just look to you to be our, our shepherd and provide for all that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There's a place uh, in Oxford uh, on Broad Street uh, where you can go and you can see in the road uh, part of the tarmac is peeled away uh, and there's a cross that's paved into the, the road itself. Uh, and that cross uh, marks the spot Uh, where two people were martyred. A man called Hugh Latimer and a man called Nicholas Ridley were burned at the stake in 1555. The reason that they were were burned at the stake uh, was because they refused to accept uh, the supreme authority of the Pope. Uh, they refused to accept the teaching that the Mass was a re-sacrifice of the Lord, Lord Jesus, a repeated sacrifice. Uh, Latimer, he died uh, quickly. Uh, and as he was dying, he encouraged uh, Nicholas Ridley, who was the, the younger of the two, and he said these words, quite famous words now, Be of good comfort, Mr. Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust never shall be put out. Imagine saying those words as you are burning at the stake. Imagine facing death with such uh, composure, such uh, fortitude. And there are many uh, other stories on there throughout history of people who have faced death with similar courage and similar fortitude. I think that knowing that makes it surprising, doesn't it, as we come to this account in Matthew 26 and we see the Lord Jesus in the garden, overwhelmed. As you read through the Gospels, uh, you get a sense of the kind of man that Jesus is. He's a man who's resolute, who's, who's focused on his mission, a man who is... Uh, determined, even in the face of great hostility, to do what he knows he has to do, he's a man who, by his words, often leaves his his opponents speechless and without an answer. He's a man who is in uh, complete control. He, he stills the storm. He heals the sick. He sets those who are oppressed free. He he raises the dead. He's a man who is a master of all situations. There's no other man like him. And yet here in the garden, as he, he contemplates his own death, he's like a man in a nightmare, isn't he? It seems he's he's undone. He's He's overwhelmed. So overwhelmed that in verse 39 we read that he falls down on his face. We're going to spend just a few moments just looking at this account, just trying to, uh, to, to grasp, to understand uh, Jesus' perception of what awaited him uh, the following day. And we're just going to do that by kind of gathering thoughts under three words, three words to help us think about this account in the garden. The first one is sorrow. Sorrow. So Jesus has been in the upper room with his disciples They've shared the Passover together, and now they've headed out uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's with all of his disciples, but then he decides to leave some of his disciples behind. He takes three, sometimes known as the inner circle. It says here, uh, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John. And they go a little bit further into the garden. And it's at this point, when Jesus is with these three close friends that he's, Overwhelmed with sorrow, he says in verse thirty-eight, "My soul is very sorrowful, even to death." Jesus feels so sad; it, it, it's killing him. And in his sorrow, he asks the three, these three close friends, to remain and to watch with him. And he goes a little bit further on into the garden, uh, and he falls down on his knees uh, to pray to his his father. Up until this point in Matthew's gospel, Jesus talked very openly about the events that await in Jerusalem. I think four times he's spoken about his death and resurrection. He's spoken about it frankly. Uh, but here as he begins to see what lies ahead, it seems he's he's overwhelmed. And the question is, isn't it, why is it that there are other men who faced death with great courage and fortitude, (laughs) like Hugh Latimer as he was burned at the stake? And yet here Jesus seems less courageous. We know that he's not. (laughs) But what is it about Jesus' death that is different to all other deaths? I think the answer is found in the prayer that Jesus prays. Jesus prays, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup pass from me. It's the cup. Something about this cup that overwhelms Jesus. What is this, this cup that he, he sees in his mind's eyes? He thinks about the events that are going to take place. Well, the cup is uh, uh, an image or a picture that's taken from, from, from the Old Testament And there's a word that's usually accompanied the word cup in the Old Testament. It's it's wrath. Often the Old Testament refers to the cup of God's wrath. There's a very vivid uh, portion of the Old Testament in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 25, when the prophet Jeremiah speaks a lot about the cup of wrath. Jeremiah pictures the coming judgment of God on, on on the nations, first on the nation of Israel, then on, on all the other nations. And this is what Jeremiah writes. He says, Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. In the following verses, uh, it's pictured as though all the nations are gathered into a, into a circle, and this cup is been passed round for every nation to drink, first Judah, then Egypt, and then last of all, this cup is passed to the, the king of Babylon. And then Jeremiah goes on uh, to, to write, and if they refuse, this is what the Lord is so, saying to Jeremiah, if they refuse to accept the cup from your hand to drink, then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, you must drink For behold, I begin to work disaster at the city that is called by my name. And shall you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished, for I am summoning a sword against all the inhabitants of the earth, declares the Lord of hosts. This cup is the righteous wrath of a holy God against unrighteous people. And the scene in Jeremiah 25, it's as though it's this kind of global drinking game. And all the nations in the world are are called to this circle and the cup is being passed round and all are made to drink. And I think the shocking scene that we see in the Garden of Gethsemane is that the cup is passed to Jesus. (laughs) The father holds the cup to his son, his perfect, spotless son who is without fault. The one who has only always from all eternity past caused his father maximum delight. And yet Jesus comes into the circle and sits down to take the cup. So Jesus can face the mocking, he can face the flogging, he can even face the nails, but when it comes to the cup, when it comes to the cup of wrath, as he contemplates that, he's overwhelmed with sorrow. That's the first word, sorrow. The second word, uh, submission. Submission. As Jesus considers the cup and he's overwhelmed with sorrow, there's something even greater than his sorrow. And that's his submission. His desire to do his, his father's will. Listen again to his prayer. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Praise prays a similar prayer a second time, verse 42. Again, for a second time, he went away and prayed. If this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Jesus repeats his, his commitment to his, his father's will in some ways this is a a very mysterious passage How how do we understand this it's treading on sacred ground isn't it listening to these intimate prayers between the son and the father I think sometimes if we're not careful we can misunderstand this this passage what we see here in the garden is Jesus in his humanity living in rightful submission to his father. Elsewhere in the Bible, we read that the events of the first Easter were planned before the foundation of the world. In eternity past, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the the one God in three persons planned this great salvation. But now Jesus in his humanity brings his human will, his human will that recoils at the thought of the cross, that recoils at the thought of the cup, He brings his human will into submission to that divine will. and As we see Jesus and his radical commitment to his Father's will, we see man as man was meant to be. We see humanity as humanity was meant to be. And we're also reminded of all that we are not. We see all that Christ is and we see all that we are not. Right from Genesis 3, since the Garden of Eden. We've, we've thought about this, haven't we, in the, in the book of Romans. But the, the mantra of the human race has not been your will be done. It's, it's been my will be done. Yet here in Gethsemane, this is man as man was meant to be. One author writes this. In the first garden, not your will but mine changed paradise to a desert and brought man from Eden to Gethsemane but now not my will but yours brings anguish to the man who prays it but transforms the desert into the kingdom and brings man from Gethsemane to the gates of glory lovely words aren't they what's Jesus done for our humanity he's rescued us he's restored us and so let's be in awe of Jesus this morning let's be in awe of his submission of his obedience let's be in awe of the fact that he was willing to drink the cup that that we deserve so that's the second word submission sorrow submission and then the final word is sleepers sleepers that brings us to the the sleepy disciples Jesus asked these three disciples, didn't he, to just to, to come with him and to pray. And what does he find when he returns? He finds them fast asleep. He wakes them and he says to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? This is, this is Peter who just hours before was full of confidence. <laughs> full of confidence. Jesus, I'm your man. I'll stick with you. Jesus, I'm willing even to die for you. I'll never deny you. Peter had noble desires, didn't he? But Jesus says, the flesh is willing, but the spirit is weak. Jesus isn't asking Peter to die for him. He just wants him to pray with him, he just wants him to watch and pray. He says, Watch and pray, Peter, that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus goes away again to pray, and when he returns, what does he find? Verse 43, again, his disciples are sleeping. It says because their eyes were heavy. Eyes were heavy. You know that feeling, don't you, when your head's kind of rolling off. That was the disciples in the garden. Jesus goes away again to pray a third time, and when he returns, his disciples are they're still asleep. The contrast couldn't be greater, could it? Between Jesus and his, his focus, his, his submission, and the disciples and their, their lack of focus and their, their sleepiness. Jesus wakes them. He says, sleep, take your rest later on. Rise, the hour is at hand. The son of man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. What do you think as you see the disciples in the garden uh, sleeping? What do you think we're meant to learn from this? We may be tempted to rush ahead and use this passage like a a pinch or a jar of smelling salt. Come on, wake up. (laughs) Don't be like those sleepy disciples. Pull your socks up, sort yourself out. Try harder, watch and pray. I think certainly there's an instruction there for us to, to watch and to pray. I think first of all, uh, we're called to recognize that we are just like those disciples. I think unless we recognize that, we, we, miss, we miss the point. We miss the point of this passage. We're meant to be confronted. The disciples are set in sharp contrast to Jesus. And as we see the weakness of the disciples, we're confronted by our own weakness, because we are just like them. Sometimes. in our imagination, in our pride, we think we can do great things for God. But the reality is we struggle even to do the simplest things, don't we? We struggle even to pray. Jesus will go to the cross and he will go alone. He will drink the cup alone and he will do this for us because there's no other way that we can be saved. People like to say there's, there's lots of ways to God. If we're just sincere, if we just try to be good, if we just turn over a new leaf, God will accept us. Do you think the father would hand the cup to his son if there was any other way. <laughs> Surely not. Only Jesus can save, and that's why he came. And all that Jesus is, he is for us. Right from his birth, his obedient life, here in the garden, on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension, all that Jesus is, he is. For us, he takes the cup that we deserve, the cup of wrath, and in return, he holds out to us a different cup, another cup, a better cup. Just hours before these events in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had been eating and drinking with his disciples the Passover meal, and as he ate and drank with them. He passed them a cup. And these are the words that he says as he passes them the cup. As they were eating, Jesus took the cup, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. This is a wonderful cup. This is not the cup of God's wrath. This is a cup that means forgiveness. It's a cup that symbolizes the blood of Jesus uh, poured out for us. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus gives this cup to weak, sleepy disciples who are so weak they cannot even watch and pray. He says, this is the cup, the new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. We're going to come to the table shortly, but as we come, let's revel in Jesus and his submission, his obedience on our behalf. Let's remember who we are. We're weak, needy. And as we eat and drink together, let's truly celebrate this Good Friday we're going to sing before we come to the table a lovely song when i survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died my richest gain i count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride